your Bibles to John chapter 12. Let's get back into our study in the book of John. And as you go there, we're going to take a little quick survey here. How many of you have ever been in a romantic relationship in your life? Some of you are like looking at your spouse like, is this romantic? I don't know. That qualifies, okay? I think we might have to change the whole study today from that response right there. Um, the beginning of any romantic relationship is kind of dicey, isn't it? You're kind of feeling things out and you don't know what they think of you. There's just, there's landmines everywhere. Just getting to the place where you actually get the question out there, that, that it's finally obvious that you're, you're asking, do you like me? Or, or declaring, I like you. Just getting to that, I mean, that can be a very difficult maneuver to make, to, to get to that spot without really just imploding from all of the uncertainty and the doubt. Today, it's very, um, it's kind of the norm that instead of saying, would you like to go out on a date with me, guys today ask girls if they would like to hang out. Yeah, would you like to hang out? It's very noncommittal. I don't know. I'm going to be hanging somewhere. Do you want to hang with me? You know, it's no big deal. It's not like I like you or anything. You know? And, it, and when, when a guy and a girl start to be interested in each other, the, the, the term today kind of is, well, those two are talking. See, it's very innocuous. They're just, they're talking. They're just talking. We don't know what they're talking about, but they're talking to each other, evidently, regularly talking. So we take these words, because why? Why is it that there's this, this move back from just declaring yourself, and I like you, and, and would you go on a date? Why are we moving back from that? You know why? Because relationships are really risky. What are you risking when you, when you put yourself out there and you say, I like you? Rejection. You're risking, I don't like you. I will tell you that I have had experience with rejection in my life. I have. I've been on the receiving end of the phone call that says, I don't want to go out with you anymore. You know, um, I've been in, as a matter of fact, the second time that I asked Dana out, she said, no. <laughs> I won't share with you the whole conversation, but when I, the first day that I asked her to be my girlfriend, she said, I don't think I want to date you. Rejection. Relationships are very risky. You are putting something very precious at risk. Some of our fear of rejection, some of our feeling of being rejected is very real. Someone actually doesn't like you. They see who you are or who they think you are and they say, no, I don't want you. Much of our rejection experience is imagined. Driven by our own insecurities and by hurts from the past. And we are so afraid of being rejected that we look for it everywhere. It's a powerful thing that's at work. The truth is, if you are not able to deal with rejection, your life will be lived very much alone. Because you cannot have relationship without the risk of rejection. And so if you are unwilling to risk it, if you are living in fear of it, you will never feel close to anyone because the price of being close is the risk. That's the price. 
that you pay. And so it is worth the price. I'm not saying you should be reckless and just trust everyone. I'm not saying that. There are pretty simple clues to who's worth the risk and who isn't. And you can still love someone and care about them without putting unnecessary things at risk. You can certainly do that. But what I want to get through to you today is this. The best relationships you'll ever have with another human include the risk of rejection. The closer you get, the more the risk. And the part of John that we're looking at today, we're only looking at a few verses, but the part of John that we're looking at today shows us that even Jesus' relationships included this risk. Even Jesus faced this. And I hope that we can learn some things from the descriptions of rejection that he faced. Maybe you're here today and you just are convinced that you're a loser, that you're a reject, that nobody really likes you. Maybe life has convinced you of that. You think everybody talks about you behind your back and you don't any, ever have anyone who really likes you. I hope that at least you can recognize that that thought pattern isn't healthy. I may understand it. And if you shared with me your experiences, I might say, man, I really get it. But I hope that you know that if you are convinced that you are a reject, that that's not a healthy way to think and that you're not going to get anywhere that you want to go. And by the way, it's probably pretty far-fetched to think that everybody hates you. I mean, think about it. You would have to be like pretty determined to be an awful person in order for everyone to hate you, wouldn't you? I mean, I like some people just by default. Unless you've like blown something up in my face, it's, I like you, you know what I mean? So, I, for all the people that I see today, I like you. So if you think nobody likes you, I like you. So there you go. All right? You can get over it. Maybe you're someone who has rejected Jesus like the people in this passage today have rejected Jesus. Let me talk to you for a second. Maybe you think you're being smart. You're being wise. Maybe you don't want to believe you think it would be foolish or naive to give your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're rejecting him, but you don't think you are. Because you're accepting him with your words, but you're rejecting him with your choices. With your, the attitudes and the, the thought processes of your soul. Maybe you're rejecting him because you think he's rejected you. This happens a lot. And, and I think it's tragic. Um, there are people out there who have certain struggles, certain things that they identify with in, in their life, and they think because of those things that God has already rejected them. I cannot tell you how many times someone's come to me and said, this is the circumstance of my life. Is it possible even for me to be saved? Is it possible for me to be a child of God and have this struggle? I think that's heartbreaking to think that someone is such a reject because of their failing and they're falling. It is a powerful voice, force in our world. Fear of rejection runs people's lives. Powerful force. I mean, runs their life. Every choice they make is about mitigating, offsetting the possibility of rejection. So John chapter 12, we're going to read today from 37 down to 43, but we're just going to start with the first verse. Verse 37. So read this verse with me. Here's what it says in John chapter 12, verse 37. Even after Jesus had done 
all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Jesus has just gotten done talking about how he's going to die and how they have a limited time to decide what to do with him before it gets very, very dark. That's the imagery Jesus used. The light is here. It's about to get really dark. The time is short. It's really dark, isn't it? Spiritually, it's really dark. And the time is getting short. And Jesus says to them, you got to decide what you're going to do. And after he, he makes that, that, that statement, that really that invitation, he's done. In the Gospel of John, he's done speaking to the public. That's the end of his public ministry. And so John, the Apostle John, as he's writing the Gospel of John here, puts this little commentary in here. And, it's, and this commentary starts with this discussion. A few simple truths I see in this little, little discussion. First thing I see is this. Jesus faced rejection. As a person, as a human being, as a man, Jesus faced rejection. Sometimes we think that because Jesus is God in human flesh, that his experiences were very different from our experiences. But I want you to know that one of the things that strikes the most fear in people's hearts, rejection, is something Jesus knew very well. As a matter of fact, Jesus knew it from some of his closest friends, didn't he? Who is about to betray him in a chapter or two? One of the twelve is going to reject him. Somebody he's walked with for three years plus. The point of the incarnation, the point of the fact that God became man, was that Jesus was going to experience life like you and I experience life. And so this rejection felt to Jesus like it feels to you. That's what it felt like. It came of, in in the verse here, it came in spite of how much Jesus had done in obvious and public ways so that they could believe. He had gone around, he had helped people, he had taught people, he had healed multitudes of people, he had fed multitudes of people, he even raised some dead people. In spite of all of that, people still said, no, we don't want you. And so I would say to you today, if rejection is a big deal in your life, if it's something that's on your mind every day, if people actually reject you in spite of how much you've proved that you care about them, don't feel alone. Jesus gets it. You've got someone you can talk to who's like, yeah, I know. Stinks, doesn't it? It's awful. He totally understands that you can pour your heart and soul out for somebody and they can say, yeah, I don't really like you. Hebrews tells us that he faced life so that he will understand when we go to him with our lives. He goes, yeah, I understand that. And so I see this truth that Jesus knows rejection because he got rejected. He understands it. He's very familiar with it. Second truth I see here is this, how much of a tragedy it would be for anyone to reject him. How much of a tragedy it would be for you to reject him. John, the Apostle John, has spent 12 chapters. He didn't write chapters, he just, but 
We've read 12 chapters talking about miracles. Later, he's going to say that Jesus did so many miracles, I couldn't write them all down. I don't think that I have enough paper on this earth to write down all the things that Jesus did. That's what John will say later in this book. And so there was this wealth of miracles and signs that Jesus did in front of them. But it says they refused to believe. They refused to trust him. They refused to live and following Jesus, embracing Jesus. And so let me ask you today, how much has Jesus done in your life? How good has God been to you? Wouldn't it be tragic if he's poured all this out and you go, hey, thanks, but I don't really want you. Wouldn't that be awful? You say, well, you know, I don't believe in Jesus because life stinks. Life is hard. I I totally get that. I hear you. But listen, maybe you're just focusing on one element of life. Maybe one area of life. Isn't God the giver of really good gifts? Like, I don't know, for example, life. Like you're the fact that you're alive. People that you care about, has God not brought them into your life? Does God not provide air and sun and a new day? Does God not give his son for you to die for you, to pay for your sin and offer to wash you clean and make you? Isn't God been good to you? How much would he have to do? How far would he have to go for you to not reject him? It isn't your mind that needs convincing. These people had seen sign after sign after sign. Why did they still reject him? Because it wasn't a matter of knowledge. It was a matter of the choice of your heart. A lot of times we get into, when we study the word of God, we get into an area uh, we call apologetics, arguing for the faith. Great stuff. But let me tell you this. Apologetics will never of itself bring someone to Christ. Do you know why? Because your battle is not with their mind. You may be able to, through an argument, show them that they are just refusing to believe something that absolutely can make sense. But it ultimately comes down to a choice of their heart, doesn't it? It is a faith choice. We don't come to God by knowledge. We don't come to God by understanding. We come to God by faith. And God says, you must trust me. And so these people had seen plenty. But until they believed that Jesus was who he showed them he was, they were not going to follow him. They were not going to accept him. They refused to believe him. And I would say to you, until you believe, whether you're a child of God or whether you're not, until you believe that God actually loves you, that God actually wants you, that he likes you, until you really believe that, you will live functionally rejecting him every day because you don't trust him. You think that if I get too close to God, I'm going to feel that rejection. I just know he's just waiting to say, nope, not good enough. Until you believe that he has done all that he says he has done to make a way to bring you to him through Jesus Christ, you will live rejecting him. Child of God or not, you will live rejecting him. Maybe not with your words. Maybe you even label yourself a Christian. I am a child of God. Maybe you know all the right things to say. But you will always respond to your fear of rejection instead of responding to his invitation to trust him with all you are. 
Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You see people following Jesus and you're like, wow, that must be nice to be them. Guess what? It should be you. You are just always in tune with, I know somebody is going to tell me I'm not good enough. I know somebody's going to tell me that I'm a reject. Jesus knows rejection and he calls to you saying, come to me. Jesus says, if you come to me, there's no way I'll ever throw you aside. Do you believe that? And so Jesus has been rejected. And if you've been rejected, let's, let's just think for one second. What is his response to rejection? Does he go hide somewhere? Does he walk away from all these people who have rejected him? Do you know what he does? He goes and dies for the people who reject him. Now, how's that for a response? See, Jesus wasn't self-focused. Jesus knew he had a call, he had a mission, he had a purpose in this life. And whether people accepted him or not, he was going to go to the cross and pay for even the ones who reject him. Some of us are so sensitive that we allow somebody's rejection, whether it was a parent or whatever, to define our existence. Do you know what it ultimately does? It replaces the purpose of your life with just protecting yourself. And that protecting yourself is an empty purpose for life. You will feel pointless. You will feel useless. You will feel like it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. People reject you because they expect you to, or because you expect them to. Jesus did not let rejection turn him from his path. In fact, he went right down that path and God made the rejection that they had for him actually a part of his path because it's what's put him on the cross in a few chapters. Now, pick up with me at verse 38 because now there's a little bit more explanation from John about this idea, about this concept. Down to verse 40. Here's what he says. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus's glory and spoke about him. All right, this deadened heart. The other places, it's, it's a phrase that's used a lot of times in the Bible. It's a hard heart. Hard heart. Now, I don't know if you have a picture of that and in, in, in what that looks like or feels like, but it's like this idea of a heart that is non-responsive. A heart that is insulated against the, 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 the promptings of the Spirit. It is spoken of in Scripture as something I do to my heart. I harden my heart. And it is spoken of in Scripture as something God does to my heart. Similarly here, we kind of see both of them. We see the first part, we refuse to believe. And the second part, so God hardens my heart. So there's my own hardening and then God's hardening. The reality is every single one of us have hearts that are kind of normally on their way to getting hard. Like, our hearts don't soften naturally. Our hearts harden naturally. That's what they do. 
And it, it may be life, it may be busyness, it may just be tired, it may be whatever. But your heart is not naturally getting softer to the things of God. It is naturally getting harder to the things of God. John refers to the writings of the prophet Isaiah. And the writing of the prophet Isaiah quotes here is Isaiah 53. It is a, it is a passage that we read when we do communion or at Easter. This is a passage about the suffering Messiah, the one that they kind of missed as they were looking at what the Messiah would be like, you know, that that it pleased the Lord to bruise him and by his wounds we have been healed. Isaiah 53, it starts with this. Who's believed our message? It's kind of like two rhetorical phrases. Who has believed our message? The expected answer, if you read the book of Isaiah, is very few have believed our message. Who's believed our message? Very few. But then the complementary thing is, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And the idea is, who's been able to see the hand of God at work? Who has God shown himself to? His power, his strength, his goodness, his work. Who has seen the work of God? And Dana said at the beginning of worship today, the heavens declare the glory of God. Right? I mean, the idea is, it is easy to see the hand of God. But that doesn't mean that many people believe. So, Isaiah, when when John quotes Isaiah, what he's saying is people harden themselves against God's work. They see evidence of God and and the work of his hand, his power. They see his greatness, but they refuse to believe. They ignore it. They accept the blessings, the good things that God gives, but they turn away from trusting him with their life. Similarly, we accept good things from God. Maybe you've accepted salvation. But we turn away from things when we don't want to hear it anymore. We harden our hearts. We we stop listening to to sources of spiritual truth. We stop reading the word of God. We we turn away from praying and, and pouring things out to God and asking him for leading, for answers. We listen to other things in life that tell us what we'd like to hear instead of what we would need to hear, the truth from God's word. And there is no shortage of other people who will tell you what you like to hear. It is a phenomenon that is actually really getting pervasive in churches. And I'm not just talking about social things. I'm talking about doctrinal things. A lot of people go to church simply because that church has a doctrinal position that they like. And what it, what it does in my head is it just brings Second Timothy 2 right to the front, where people in the end will have itching ears and they will want to hear what they want to hear. They don't want to hear what they need. People don't come to church anymore to say, God, speak to me. You're right. I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm wrong. They come to church because they want to hear somebody say what they already think so they can be like, yeah, that's right. We call it the Facebook phenomenon, right? You have have that person on Facebook that, that just irritates the snot out of you because they disagree with everything? The stuff that they post, you're like, man, I think that's wrong. Oh, I can't believe that, right? What is that? It's, it is our tendency to like people who agree with us and be irritated by people who disagree with us. And so we, we gather people around who are like-minded. Here what we have is people who harden their hearts because they don't like what God has to say about life, about faith. They've seen his arm. Have you seen his arm? Have you seen the hand of God in your, in your life? Has he shown you that he's enough? Have he, has he shown you that he's faithful, that he's good, that he's true? Then why do we pull back 
from being fully devoted, trusting Him fully, living each day with our faith in Him. And it doesn't matter who likes me or doesn't like me. I don't even care. By the way, this is a really strong truth for parenting. If you're a parent who is susceptible to whether your kids like you or not, you're sunk. Right? If your kid picks up on the fact that you're scared and they might not like you, they are going to terrorize you because they, they have a weapon that they can use. How many times in raising four children did we say, um, I don't care if you like me or not, this is what's happening. And that's what it takes, right? I can't function in my role as parent if I'm constantly worried about, how do you feel about me? How do you feel about me? I have to get past it to say, God put me in this role because I love you so much, I'm going to do something, and if you don't like it, oh well, that's how it's going to be. We've had discussions this week where if I worry about whether my kids would like me or not about it, they wouldn't have happened, right? Sometimes you're good about that when they're little, but when they become teenagers, oh no, those teenagers, you are no less their parent as a teenager than you were when they were little. You are still their parent, and they still need you to be secure in who you are. To be set free from the fear of rejection so that you can stand because it will not, I will tell you right now, their relationship with you will not stand up under the weight of them feeling like you have to be okay because they like you enough. It won't stand up under that weight. It will crumble. You have to be okay and not be living in the fear of rejection. Well, these people chose to reject Jesus, and, and Isaiah talked about it. They were doing it back in Isaiah's day, and John uses it as a way of predicting what goes on here. Similarly, John says they, that Isaiah also says this, verse 39, they couldn't believe, Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts. This quote is from Isaiah 6. Isaiah chapter 6. It's that God knows that when Isaiah goes out to speak to people, they will reject him because they, they have their hearts already hardened. And God says, because they are already hardened, I will harden them. I will seal their rejection. I will harden their hearts, spoken of as blind eyes and dead hearts. The result of that hardening is that they are hopelessly lost. The picture here is not that God arbitrarily decides to just harden these people and that they're not going to get it and whatever. It's presented as something that God, first of all, knows is coming. And so in this passage, that Jesus knew was coming. And something that God moves from like ambiguity to real clarity, that this hardening is increased. It is a hardening that comes because someone has already chosen to reject the truth. They have pushed it away. It is similar to the description of Pharaoh in the, in the story of Exodus with the ten plagues. Ten times it is said, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then the next ten times it said, God hardened his heart. Let me tell you this. It is a fearful thing to come to the place where the best thing God can do for you is harden your heart. We talk about how God is love and God accepts and, and it's all true. God is a God of mercy whose mercy never ends. His grace knows no bounds. Absolutely. But he will accept your choice. 
If you reject him, he will accept that rejection. It is a fearful thing because God is the judge of the earth. Read sometime through the book of Revelation and watch the description of God's judgment. First chapter, John, the apostle John, who knew Jesus very well, walked with him for three years, sees a vision of Christ glorified. The Bible says he fell at his feet like he was dead. Now, if you knew someone real well, and when you saw them, it made you fall down like dead, do you have a picture of how great this person is? The Bible says a sword comes out of his mouth. And that sword is for the destruction, the judgment of people who reject him. It is a fearful thing. A terrible and awful thing for anyone to fall to the place where God hardens their heart. And so I would say to you this. The opportunity is to respond, to soften, not to harden. And I would say, do it today to reject Jesus. And, and the, the, the sad thing, the tragic thing is, at the end of that it says, if they would understand with their hearts, they would turn and I would heal them. It's not that you are beyond God's reach. It's that you refuse his reach. And because of that, the healing that's possible, you don't receive. And so come to salvation in whatever way you need it. If you are not a child of God, come to the salvation where you are washed from your sin and made new in Jesus Christ by the blood of Christ and the resurrection power. Come today. Soften your heart towards Jesus today. Open your ears. Open your heart to what he has to say, to his love, to his leading, to the promises he makes you, to his direction for your life. When I choose to want something more or something different from Jesus, we harden our heart toward him. When I live today or tomorrow as though there's something else or something on top of Jesus that I want or need, my heart grows hard towards him. And if I continue to do that, eventually God hardens our heart. Interesting, because he closes that by saying this comment. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. And remember, the quote that he picks out is from Isaiah 6. The beginning of Isaiah 6 is the Isaiah before the throne of God. And the angels flying around singing, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah saying, woe is me, I'm unclean. He has a vision of God. That's what John refers to. He saw God. He saw his glory. And it is unimaginable to Isaiah that anyone would reject Jesus. Because he saw him. And sometimes that's the way we live. Like, I can't imagine anybody not wanting to trust Christ. Because look how awesome it is. And, And that's what he's saying. These people had it right in front of them, and they rejected it anyway. Tragedy. Unimaginable. How could they miss it? But then he closes with this, verses 42 and 43. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise from men more than praise from God. Now, maybe you think, "Ah, I'm not someone who hardens my heart towards God. I've accepted Jesus. I'm a child of God. But before we close, look at this, okay? 
as though he's, he's trying to prove and, and make it so abundantly obvious how clear what Jesus has done in front of everybody is, John mentions that even leaders knew that what Jesus was saying was true. They knew it because they saw it. They couldn't deny it, that Jesus was from God, the Messiah. They knew it. They saw it. It was something they couldn't argue against. So they knew it. But knowing something's true is not enough. Admitting something is true in your mind doesn't do what Jesus invites. It could well be that these these leaders believed in him to salvation. We don't really know. God is the judge of that. I I don't try to judge whether someone's saved or not. That's That's a dicey game. You know, God is the reader of hearts, not me. But the, the, the tragedy here, the, the, the thing that's disturbing is that this kind of faith leaves us guessing. You know, we see Nicodemus, who's mentioned earlier, hiding because he doesn't want the Pharisees to know. But he, we do believe that his, his faith was real to salvation, even though he hid. But what I want to say to you today, accepting something as true is different than believing in it. Believing in the word of God is resting in, trusting in, putting your faith on. Building your life on. Jesus talks about building your house on a rock. Building your house. Where does it sit? Where does it rest? That's the kind of faith that the Bible talks about. And so, kind of to illustrate that. If you believed, if I told you that if tomorrow you, you left your job, whatever it is, and you went out and you started this specific business in this specific place, If tomorrow you were to do that, if you believed that that would lead you to be a multimillionaire in one year, if you left your job and started this business in this place tomorrow, I can guarantee you that in a year you'll you'll be a multimillionaire. If you believe that, what would you do? That's, you'd go do that. That's the kind of belief we're talking about. The kind of belief that acts, that lives like it's true that lives in your heart, in your decisions, in your words, in your actions, like it's true. 